Welcome to the Dead Good Staffordshire podcast. Now, these podcasts have been created for Dying Matters Awareness Week. You'll get a new podcast every day this week, talking about all sorts of different things to do with Dying Matters. Every minute, someone in the UK dies, but many of us still don't feel comfortable talking about dying. Talking more openly about dying can help us to make the most of life and to support loved ones. Now, we want people to actively make plans for themselves, share those plans with friends and family and support the bereaved and offer support and help to those who need it. People shouldn't be afraid to ask for help or to offer help. Communities are growing larger and more varied and all of them can be affected by death and loss. So, between the 14th and 20th of May 2018, during Dying Matters Awareness Week, there are lots of activities taking place across Staffordshire to encourage you to talk about death and dying, to help you think what can you do to be more active in planning for your future. Talking about death and dying won't make it happen, but asking what can you do and taking a few small actions can reassure you and your loved ones about the future. Hello, my name's Leslie Goodburn and I'm just a normal person who's going to talk about death, dying, grief and bereavement today. We're doing a series of podcasts for Die Matters Week in May, which is a week where everyone across the country starts to talk about death, dying, grief and bereavement, which is lots of the things that people don't want to talk about, but actually it's really important that we do If we start the conversation, think about what we can do to have those conversations. We can live live to the end and not worry about dying. So today we're at the University Hospitals of North Midlands and we're with Joe Potts. And Joe works at the hospital as an end-of-life facilitator. Yeah, so my role is supporting patients and families who may be facing dying, death and bereavement. But also a big part of that is supporting healthcare professionals to open up those discussions with patients or people and their carers um, about what matters to them most and about what they would like for the future. So, um, Leslie, I just wanted to ask you a little bit about what's brought you here today. You're very passionate about helping people at the end of life. Could you tell me a little bit about your experiences up to now? Yeah, certainly. Um, In 2014, my husband Seth was diagnosed with late-stage pancreatic cancer. He was told he'd got days, maybe weeks to live. Um, And at that point in time, our world turned upside down. Life was very different. We were thrust into a world of palliative and end-of-life care. Um, Seth and I had had some conversations in a kind of jokey way about what we would both want if we were diagnosed with something terminal, what we would want at a funeral, how we would like each other to kind of carry on afterwards. So although our world was turned upside down and um, we weren't quite sure how to go forward, um, having had those conversations it was much easier to continue the conversation and although Seth only um, survived for 33 days after his diagnosis, we spent an awful lot of that time talking about what Seth would want. He planned his own funeral, he wrote a letter that was written out at his funeral, he decided on the music that he wanted, who he wanted to speak, um, and left me with a, a kind of idea of what he wanted me to do when he was no longer here. And one of those things was to talk to people about death, dying, grief and bereavement, and to share our experiences so that people could plan for the future. Mm, so that must have been a really difficult time, but from what you said about making plans for the future for yourself and Seth, 
helped in a, in a small way so that you knew what was happening and what Seth wanted and you could help make his wishes happen. Yeah, and it was, you know, the conversations that Seth and I had were heart-wrenching conversations. Mm. They were really difficult conversations to have. But by um, being honest with each other and working with the healthcare professionals, we were able to kind of have honest and courageous conversations. Lots of people talk about difficult conversations. I don't want to have a difficult conversation with somebody because they've been diagnosed with an illness that will result in death. Or I don't want to talk to my mum and dad about death and dying because I know they're going to die, but actually it's too difficult to talk Mm -hmm. about. So um, supporting kind of Dying Matters Week, working with Hospice UK, it's all about that conversation and what people can do. So the the kind of theme of this year's Dying Matters Week is around what can you do? So that's what we're asking people to think about. What can you do to kind of have a conversation about dying, which is very different to death? what people might want when they've actually died and then thinking about what people can do to support people with grief and bereavement and kind of going forward to a a very different life that that doesn't have the person who means the most in the world to you in it. And you said that those conversations were very hard to have at the time. What sort of ways would you suggest people have ways to start those conversations? So if they've got a relative or a loved one who's unwell, what sort of words or things could they use to help open those conversations up? I think it's about um, having the co- having a conversation, but not sitting down to have a planned conversation, right. making it a conversation about the future, mm-hmm. what what's important to people. So I think there are probably three things that you need to include in that conversation. Okay. There's something about what's important to the person, what makes life worthwhile, mm-hmm. who are the people who are important, what are the things that are important to them that are around them, yeah. um, what scares them, yeah. um, so what, what do they worry about, and then I think the third thing is a kind of conversation about if you were diagnosed with something, what would you want? Mm-hmm. What would you trade off to be able to to achieve the things yeah. that are important to you and to support you with the things that scare you? Okay. So some of these things could be beneficial for people that haven't necessarily got a, a long-term diagnosis or a, a cancer diagnosis. Would they benefit anyone? Anyone, yeah. I think, I think we should start talking about all these things that are part of life death is the only thing that's absolutely universal for everyone Um, so I think it should be conversations that we have with children, it should be part of life, it should be part of all the plans that you make in life, you kind of plan for education, you plan for university, you plan to get married you plan for children, you plan to get a mortgage, you plan your career but actually then all of a sudden sometimes a terrible, you know terminal diagnosis knocks on the door and Mm. people have not had the conversation so I think it's about if we can live well we can have conversations about death and dying Mm -hmm. and I think it becomes part of life and life ultimately ends unfortunately with death but if we talk about it then we can live well to the end yeah and helping to um, make it a little bit easier for all the people involved hopefully because people know what's going on and have had their chance to have their say about what they want and what they don't want. Um, Thinking about the support that you had and what support you know is possibly available, um, who could help with those conversations? You mentioned about the palliative care team, is there any other people that um, 
go to to ask for support with having those conversations? I think there's, you know, your GP. I think if you if you go into the GP with just a minor ailment, then you know, open that conversation up with the GP around what you might want for the future. I think um, particularly when you've got a diagnosis that you know will result in the death of a loved one. I think you know there's lots of support, particularly locally, with the Dove Service in terms of counselling. Um, if you're referred through to the hospices locally, each of the hospices have um, counselling services that can help both the person who's diagnosed and people around them that are supporting them. And personally, I went to the Douglas Macmillan for um, counselling support after right. Seth died, and that helped me to kind of work through um, where I was in this new world without Seth and, and how to go forward. Mm-hmm. And it must be um, a braving to to acknowledge that you needed that support at that time so how was that finding that support for you did you find it beneficial yeah it was beneficial I, I kind of going back 30 years my dad died when he was 52 it was a very sudden death he had a, a brain hemorrhage he was fit and well one minute and then he keeled over and literally right. died um, at 22 I was kind of left with a decision about whether or not to donate my father's organs mm-hmm. and we did that but the shock of the kind of loss of my father um, left me in a place that was really difficult to deal with. So when Seth was diagnosed, I contacted the Dove Service um, a couple of days after after Seth's diagnosis to ask for some support because I knew that I needed it based on previous experiences. So I think, you know, normalising death and dying, but also normalising asking for support. It's okay not to be okay, and it's okay to ask for help. Yeah, and that's a really good message to send out, isn't it, to people that they shouldn't be ashamed of having to seek help and that there is help available for people who are facing bereavement issues or pre-bereavement even, so before the person's died, around coming to terms with that loss. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, just going and talking to someone who didn't know anything about me, wasn't going to judge what I was saying, it was just really good to go there and just talk each week mm-hmm. about um, what I'd been thinking, what where I was yeah. um, and it helped me helped me in a way to plan for the future okay so Joe tell me about the job that you do mm. at the University Hospital of North Midlands yeah so I work with the palliative care team um, across both sites County Hospital and Royal Stoke and my role was brought in to support staff who are supporting patients and people who are facing these long-term conditions and illnesses um, and about engaging with staff to be able to feel confident in opening up conversations with people about what might happen in the future. A big part of that is um, giving education and support on the wards and in the outpatient settings, um, empowering staff to feel confident. Um, Part of my role is supporting with people on the wards as well and their relatives, giving support to those and checking how we're doing as an organisation with the support that we're giving, whether it's the right thing, whether we need to work on other things as well. Um, but I really like going to see people on the ward and seeing how that they're, um, they're, they're being looked after really by our staff. Part of that work is um, supported with other providers, so people like the Douglas Macmillan Hospice, so we've built a good relationship with those, the Dove Service, and seeing how some of their experience and skills can be brought into the hospital to support with the care that we give. Um, I've worked very closely with yourself, Leslie, over the last couple of years. Um, and a big part of what you've developed was the Homeward Bound play which we've used within the hospital um, about sharing your experience that you had uh, and helping staff to reflect on that experience and how things that happened when you were in hospital could have been done differently 
some of the things that went well and some of the things that could have been uh, different and how we can incorporate that into the education we deliver. Brilliant, good. I'm glad that you're using Homeward Bound um, because Seth and I experienced care that wasn't always focused on on the person, on Seth and on me as the family supporting him. Um, and it wasn't that anyone was unkind or, or not thoughtful. It's just that they didn't really appreciate what it was like to be me and Seth in yeah. that situation where time was really, really short and we knew that, but we didn't know kind of how long Seth had got to live um, and we needed extra support in terms of Seth literally being at work at four o'clock on Monday mm. and by four o'clock on Tuesday he was told he yeah. was dying. Yeah. So it's, it's my sharing the story through Homeward Bound, it was about... Um, doing some of the things that Seth wanted me to do when he was no longer here but also to share that experience so that mm. staff could really think what it was like to, to be Seth or Seth or myself in that situation. Yeah and it's a really good way uh, for staff to be able to see it so visually either through the film or through the actors that uh, pr- present the story to be able to reflect on some of those things and it's quite difficult for me as a, a nurse who's educating to voice those but when someone else is doing it through their own words and through the letters that you wrote at the time it's a much more powerful way than what we can give in the classroom usually so we're really grateful for that uh, being able to use that resource yeah and i know during dying matters week you're doing a couple of events mm. at um, county and royal yeah. stoke around people sharing their end of life experiences supporting That's loved right. ones to share the experiences, the in, in your shoes events. Yeah, so there is sort of a, a new thing for our organisation where we're, we're inviting relatives to attend the hospital, so relatives of people who are bereaved, um, and they are able to share their story with a staff member, and hopefully that the, the impact on that will be that they will look together at some of the things that happened, and then gather the common themes from them, and then be able to improve on what happened in those stories. I mean obviously and hopefully there'll be good elements of it as well not just negative elements but for staff to be able to hear the actual impact that they have on people after the person's died is really important brilliant and when when are those two events taking place so they're the 17th and 18th of may there's one here at royal stoke hospital and there's one at county hospital and if people want to get in touch with me we can uh, put my details at the end of this podcast to get in touch and we can book a place for those events And we're also doing a couple of performances of Homeward Bound at Catherine House um, Hospice Business Centre on the 14th of May and at Keele Medical School. So if anyone listening wants to come along to those, it's open to the public, it's not just for members of staff. And it's really to think about compassionate care at end of life, um, decision making and supporting people to have open and honest conversations and not have difficult ones. Yeah. And it will give some good ways, won't it, of people to be able to get into those discussions and look at some of the barriers that you faced when you you were both receiving that, that support and care and how people can overcome them.